to Unfortunately Required Reading. Yes. Today, we're reading Sula, or also, as we're calling it, thanks to John Green, uh, much better than Lord of the Flies. Now, what are we drinking? Uh, Today, we're drinking a punishment shrub. (laughs) Typically, a shrub is made with jam and some kind of alcohol. I was going to do this with bourbon, but um, because of circumstances... So, fun circumstances when you're, like, throwing up your own stomach acid because, surprise, you have a peptic ulcer thanks to stress. Yeah, I was just going to say circumstances. I was trying to maintain your dignity. I uh, have no dignity. Okay, well, fair. Uh, <laughs> so, I was going to do this with bourbon. So, if you can imagine how delightful and refreshing this would have tasted with some mint and some bourbon. But, no, we're drinking it with this thing called Blackberry Hint, which sounds like my Tinder name. <laughs> Blackberry Hint. Can, uh, can that be your Tinder name now? It definitely can be. Uh, it says it's water infused with blackberry essence, which confuses me a lot because I don't understand what essence is. This thing has zero calories, no sugar, nothing. Um, if I look at the actual ingredients, it's just purified water and natural flavors. My question is, of what? What, what flavor exactly are we getting here? It's very faint. It definitely is a hint of blackberry. Which is why uh, the bottom of this cup is near thick with jam. So, yeah, this would be really, really, really good with alcohol. I'm sorry. It's not your fault. I mean, it's a little bit my fault. Well, no, it's your body's fault. Dang it, body! Just like anything with uh, women's rights issues, it's your body's fault. (laughs) Too real? Too real. (sighs) (laughs) So... This is, again, a continuation of Toni Morrison Month, because... How y'all liking Toni Morrison Month? Because I certainly know that I've had some very uncomfortable feelings about, like, what it means to be black in a person. Yeah, or what it... And, I mean, just on my side, because I'm not black, but what it's like to be a woman and treated like crap. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) But I think this is honestly, even though apparently this is Morrison's least favorite, uh, it's one of my favorites. And we were joking about that before, too, with the Blackberry stuff, so... Yeah, we were. Mm. We were. Oh, Tony Morrison. I, I, I wish we were famous enough for you to listen. I'll help me, Tony. Anyway. Yes. So we're going to go into the short story long, which, as usual, I can't do a short version of anything. No, it doesn't exist. Okay. So this is going to sound really weird, because I do refer to people as black people. Sorry. I give you permission. So... The black people of, quote, the bottom live in the hills above a white community called Medallion, Ohio. This was part of a trick from a former slave master who told the slave when he set him free that he would have uh, all this really nice land. And then he ended up giving him a bunch of hilly land with a bunch of rocks and said that when God looked down from the top, this was the bottom. So the joke was on the master, though, because the land is now a thriving community. So, of course, the white people now want to have that land and they're going to build a golf course there. They paved paradise and set up a parking lot. Yep gentrification at its finest. Mm -hmm. So this is, of course, going to destroy most of the homes of the black folk and kick them out. Enter this guy named Shadrach, who fought in World War I and returned a totally shattered man who can't handle his life. He lives on the outskirts of the bottom and compartmentalizes his fear of death in a ritual he calls National Suicide Day. The town is like, uh, dude, this seems like really unhealthy, but, you know, you're cool. We'll keep you. You're strange. We'll allow it. So this is where the book starts focusing on two separate families. One has a daughter named Nell who follows all the social conventions and comes from what's considered to be a rigid and stable home. Um, She ends up taking a train to New Orleans to say goodbye to what she thinks is her grandma, only to find out that this is really her great-grandma. They end up being forced to go to the bathroom and field because the train stops all have super shitty white people. 
And Nell isn't exactly sure whether she wants to follow in her mom's footsteps and have to keep pooping in a field. Uh Um, And this becomes an even bigger deal when she meets Rochelle, who is her real grandma, who just happens to be a former prostitute. The lady she thought was her, her grandma, it was, like I said, her great grandma. So Rochelle is like the only unconventional figure that Nell has ever actually seen. Sula is from a very different family. She was raised by her grandmother, Eva, and her mom, Hannah. The town sees them as eccentric and loose. Eva is missing a part of a leg, and there's tons of stories about how that happened involving trains and disease, and no one really kind of tells you what really happens, right? I don't really remember that part. Probably diabetes. Probably diabetes. Um, They also take care of three informally adopted boys and a ton of boarders, which with Hannah sometimes sleeps with. So that's kind of what Sula sees as a regular basis is sex is just something you do for fun. It's not really that big of a deal. Yeah. So as you can kind of tell, Sula and Nell are super different, but they become super attached to each other until a horrible accident where they're swinging a little boy around named Chicken Little. They accidentally, Sula loses grip on his hand and he ends up falling into the river and drowning. They don't tell anyone what happened, and then the kid's body is found and treated like garbage by a white boater who, like, puts it in a bag and then drags it on the side of the boat because he doesn't want anything to smell bad. Um, They go to the funeral. It's super sad. Everything sucks. One day, Sula's mom's dress catches fire, and Hannah ends up dying. When high school is over, Nell gets married and follows a super conventional role, becomes a mom. Sula says, fuck it to convention and leaves the bottom for 10 years. Uh She has a ton of affairs, some with white dudes. She realizes that people are boring everywhere. So she comes back to the bottom. And when she comes back, she's got a super bad reputation because of her interracial relationships. Uh This gets worse after she has an affair with Nell's husband, Jude. Oops. And then Jill, Jill. Yeah. Jude promptly leaves Nell. Yes. Somehow being super shitty to Sula gets everyone in town to, like, come together. Yeah. Which, you see that with a lot of people. (laughs) Yeah, tribalism is a bitch. I mean, what's a better way to, like, get together than all hating the same thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, Sula ends up getting sick. And right before she dies, she and Nella have kind of a half-assed makeup. Uh And then after she dies, the whole town goes back to shit again. Yeah. Nell visits her grandma Eva in the nursing home, or visits Sula's grandma Grandma Eva Eva. in the nursing home, and ends up having to confront the fact that Nell always thought that she was the good half of the relationship, which was not necessarily true. Yes. And she ends up mourning and calling out Sula's name. Yeah. Um, Fun fact, I've related to Sula in too many ways to make me feel comfortable as a person. But see, Sula's not bad. Like, no, that's... she's not bad. She's she's not. She's definitely not bad. Just it's like all the parts of myself that I know society doesn't like. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a filthy hedonist. But it's all the parts of myself that I know society isn't fond of, especially conservative Southern society. Well, I mean, even Nell isn't really that thrilled about her own life. I mean, there's that whole part where. She's talking to herself and she's like, me, I'm me. I'm going to be wonderful. Yeah, I want to be wonderful. Jesus, make me wonderful. And instead it's like, well, you made yourself kind of mediocre, so. Yeah, but I mean, even Sula gets tamed by uh, Ajax, which I love as an idea because Ajax conquered Greece. So thank you, Toni Morrison. I understood that reference. (laughs) I just imagined you in the Captain America uniform. That's horrible. I would be the worst Captain America. I'm the worst Captain America. 
Like, I feel like we need to be in a room where I'm dressed up as that angel dude from Supernatural. Cassio? Yes. Yes. And you're dressed up as Captain America. And we just go, I'd just be like, I don't understand that reference. I do understand that reference. <laughs> oh, God. But to be fair, if I dressed up like Castiel and you dressed up as Constantine, really the only difference would be the tie. And one is a sexual deviant and the other isn't. Well, the other one just is an angel, so there's really no sex there. I mean, that's not what the fans are after. Dusty hell. Hashtag it. No, I'm just kidding. Please don't. don't. We're done. (laughs) And we're finished. We've already disappointed Toni Morrison. I'm sorry, Toni Morrison. I'm so sorry. So you want to talk about uh, botany? Let's talk about botany. Let's talk about the way black beers are supposed to taste. Just kidding. Uh, <laughs> like something. This, I have never had a more aggressive whisper. That's what this is. Like, truly, the bottle says hint. You could have... What is it? What is it a hint of? It's like someone crushed a blackberry and blew its memory over a bottle of water. It certainly is a goddamn hint. Every time you say whisper, all I can think of is Carolus whisper, and it's like, do-do-do-do-do-do. what it is. I don't... I'm aggressively Southern. I would like all of you to know that. You probably know that by now. I'm aggressively Southern. I was flabbergasted to find out that you're only supposed to put like a like a quarter of a cup of sugar and an entire thing of Kool-Aid. What? Yeah, there's measurements for Kool-Aid. I didn't know that. My grandmother added sugar until it was crunchy. <laughs> I was not aware. <laughs> we used to get Crystal Light because that's how white my family. <laughs> oh, oh, sweetie, I'm so sorry. <laughs> And be like, here's the pink lemonade. Um, this doesn't taste like lemons. It's fine. No, it's only five calories. My mom was diabetic, and she should have been drinking Crystal Light, but that never stopped her. Um, so blackberries and the nightshade. So instead of doing symbols and themes and stuff like that, we're just gonna kind of do things to think about. This will still help you in your AP classes. Yeah, this definitely will be important aspects of any critical reading of Sula. Um, because here's the thing with Toni Morrison. Toni Morrison, much like Ogres and Onions, is full of layers. Did you just really go Shrek right now? I did. I, you're I not did. a parfait? <laughs> oh, I <no>. did. <laughs> oh. Now all I can think of is Will Smith in that one uh, vampire movie where he's talking, he's just reciting Shrek. Oh, God. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Dude, you're not making yourself look any less crazy right now. Oh, no. You're not. It's raining here. I just noticed that. It is raining. Oh. Yeah. Anyways, um, so we find out about Blackberry and Nightshade that they were growing together uh, in the place that was known as the bottom, which to me is very, very strange because I can't imagine a place where Nightshade just grows like that. Right. Um, you need a certain kind of soil to tend to Nightshade, and they don't. They're very fussy plants. Willing suspension of disbelief. No. <laughs> you can't go realistic on every other part and then make it sound like a like a staff of Hermes that there's just two plants getting busy together. That's not how horticulture works. I just did a very elaborate gesture that you all can't see. I mean, it was a little bit like Napoleon Dynamite doing the bird thing when they're... Yeah, it was. But, like, anyway. slow and not coordinated. <laughs> um, so these plants really thrive together. And on very base level, they do look kind of similar, though a nitro... Uh, which is actually quite cute. Why is my computer telling me about photos? Like, I don't need you to tell me that you created an album of photos. 
So if you have Contana on your computer, for some reason, it like feels the need to talk to you all the time. It's kind of like, like a little kid going, and then I did this, and then I did this. And anyway, moving on. Um, back to nightshades. Back to nightshades. Uh, nightshades are deadly, fun fact. Um, I should know this because I ended up taking care of one accidentally for quite some time. Did it have a name? Have I not told you the story? No, you've told me the story. I just don't remember the name. No, I didn't, there was I didn't one. name it. It's just, um, so y'all probably haven't heard this story. Um, in a house that I used to live in with my aunt, we had actually a fairly nice garden. And along the wall, we had roses. And I loved tending to those roses because I'm Southern and I'm biologically female. And that's what we do. We tend to plants. I didn't have children, so I had to get those instincts out on something. And in the center of the garden, there was this really, really strange plant. It almost... The flowers were white, and they opened up, like, a weird little, like, fluted skirt. And it had these ugly-ass berries. Like, a weird alligator testicle, super weird berry. I'm like, okay, whatever. Strange uh, testicle flower. It's beautiful. I took care of this plant for probably a good year or so. And then um, my great-grandfather, who was a far more avid reader than I ever was or will be, uh, gave me a book on plants, and in that book was this thing called a jimson weed. And a jimson weed is a very famous nightshade, uh, known as one of the nightshades that help southern women kill their husbands, uh, but also was a air quotes treatment for asthma. So I tended to this nightshade for a very, very long time, and I always wondered why our garden had no pests. Had no pest because your plant was killing anything. Yeah. If you ever <laughs> Google a Jimson weed, they look, the flowers are beautiful. It's that weird berry that's just like, what is this odd monster testicle? Um, so the idea that you have a blackberry, which is a very common uh, plant that is delicious, and a nightshade, it is an uncommon plant, but is deadly, is almost like it's a theme. <laughs> So there are, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost like you're supposed to pay attention to that. And it's almost like they're trying to tell you that one thing is one thing and one thing is another, but, but in the realm of Toni Morrison, that is not the game. No, not at all. Um, because you're, you're meant to assume, and I'm jumping the gun a little bit. You're meant to assume that the blackberry is good and the nightshade is bad. <laughs> But that is not entirely true. Some of your favorite things are nightshades, like tobacco and potatoes and tomatoes. And they're delicious. Well, not the tobacco. Okay, not the tobacco. Don't, don't eat tobacco. No, that, that hurts you. Yeah, but um, some of your favorite things are nightshades. And um, I can't imagine anything that a blackberry could do on its own volition that could be deadly. I guess you could die trying to get to it. You could fall over and trip on something. They use it to attract bears. I don't know. Bears! <laughs> it's, um, there was a old punishment that was slathering someone in honey and letting like insects and birds peck at them until they die. Like a blackberry soup for someone and like, send them off into the woods. This sounds like a terrible, horrible plan. And I don't want to be involved in it. <laughs> Too late, you are. Dang it. Um... We'll discuss this Blackberry Nightshade nonsense further, but we have to bring up a rather lofty elephant in the room, which is binary thinking. Binary thinking. As you know, we're not necessarily big fans of binary thinking. Not at all. Um, it's basically distinguishing between two opposite things by defining one thing 
by the other. Yes. So the concept is by Ferdinand de Saussure. I cannot pronounce that properly. You're not wrong. Where, you know, one thing is defined by the opposite, like hot versus cold, good versus evil. And there are a lot of problems that these, this binary thinking can get you into, Mm -hmm. like gender, skin color. Hey, we brought up gender and skin color. If we had alcohol, we would be drinking. Okay. Um, This book definitely combats this type of thinking. Well, I think everything that Morrison does tries to combat that kind of thinking. Um, And it's more of structuralist light Saussure who like binary thinking. I don't really quite know where the etymology was coined because it's been a part of human language since there's been language, mm-hmm. or at least structured language. Um, and, but it's probably also, before that, too. I mean, yeah. just the concepts of you learn one thing is good and one thing is to avoid. But it's honestly also hilariously Western because then you have concepts like yin and yang, where, I mean, uh, as a vast oversimplification, is you understand that you really can't have one without the other. And that even the positive in you know good is somehow negative sometimes like those two things don't exist without each other that's the idea that that binary exists as a hard and fast rigid line is hilariously western it is um which i mean realistically western patriarchy is the root of most of our problems what did i say (laughs) take a drink Mm -hmm. (laughs) rant about patriarchy take a drink um it's actually one of the reasons why I like some aspects of deconstruction, like uh, Derrida, Jacques Derrida, who's like, your uh, rigid way of thinking about language is dumb and stop it. But you have, so binary thinking comes into play when you have a uh, dichotomy of words, so like good and evil. Um, in your mind, I guarantee that, that conjures up a thought almost immediately. And if you have not been exposed to a great deal of secondary thinking, you might have very strong opinions on what that is. So I'm a heathen, so evil doesn't sound that bad to me. I was that kid who read Paradise Lost and was like, wait, Satan had some good ideas. Is this like that awkward time where you're at the Harry Potter ride in Universal and Salazar Slytherin is talking about, hey, we're not letting a certain amount of people in here because there's too many people, and you're like, yeah, there are too many people at Universal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, maybe not. I'm just kidding. No, I mean, we. I think the, the unfortunate thing is, and here's the thing with binary thinking, is there's this gross id part of us that likes to think that, and then we rely on our superego to say, hey, that sounds a little fascisty. Might have to explain the tripart psyche. I would, just for folks who, who don't know Freud. Y'all should know Freud. You got the id, you got the ego, you got the superego. Yes. Uh, so your id is like your most base part. That's the part of you that wants what it wants and will fight and complain until it gets it. Think of an id like a spoiled kid or like who I am right now as a 20-something. I will eat this ice cream even though I'm lactose intolerant. I don't care. It's delicious and I want it. Exactly. Uh, your ego is the part of you that uh, is reflected upon. And it's usually like your midway point. So that's usually what everyone sees as the ego. Your super ego is like your higher lofty self. That's the part of you with like aspirations and dreams and it's trying to keep the id usually in check and the ego is usually fraught in between keeping the superego and the id happy so i think we all have a base id instinct like i'm i'm black and i still like if i had heard that at universal I was like too many people like you're right there are too many people it's like wait that doesn't end well for any of us no it ever. doesn't ever. like wait hold on but that base instinct is in a lot of us uh to 
to make an analogy that I never thought that I would. Oh, no. Uh, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Gaston, and you get to the end where it's the mob song, and it's like, wow, these people are really backwards, but also, if I was in a time of crisis, his words are quite alluring. Mm-hmm. Like, if I was in a time of crisis, and this magical castle appeared, and there's a beast in it, and there's a crazy woman who wants to talk about literature... And you've only seen a mirror image of this thing screaming? Yeah, like, I would also, like... I've never understood Gaston as the villain, because to me, he's just kind of right. He, he has a wrong way of getting there, but there's a monster in a castle, yo! Well, that's one of the reasons that we do this podcast, too, is the mm-hmm. concept of empathy. Because, as Amanda has said many times, we're not trying to shame you into changing your way of thinking. No, never. We just want you to have that empathy for people who are like you. Right. Um, and honestly, even for me even though I am of color, my the cards that I've been dealt are remarkably different than any of the cards that my foremothers and forefathers have ever had to deal with. I get to sit here with a friend who is white and drink just horrible, weird flavor fruit water. <laughs> it, is, it is pretty terrible. I mean, I, I can see where the shrub goes. Like, I can yeah. see the concept of, and when this thing stops hurting, we're putting champagne in it. So, <laughs> and see, like that's my that's my biggest concern today. My my the two biggest battles I had to fight today was getting an oil change, and now this. I'm proud of you for getting an oil change when you just do that. I ignored him when he said my alignment was off. It's like eh, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. We're fine. But um, that binary thinking really gets in trouble. So then you have characters like Nell and Sula, who are realistically on paper very different, but. They mirror each other in a lot of weird ways that Sula really wants that conventional life that Nell has. And Nell really wants to be Sula. But they can't really see that they have that in each other. Um, There's something that's not talked about enough when it comes to feminist readings of text is the importance of female friends. I know that I was taught as a young lady that women are competitions for penises. Yep. And you are not to be friends with them. Women are duplicitous and they're cruel and they're terrible and they will only ever hurt you. Yeah, I mean, everything I heard as a kid was just everybody was a mean girl. And yeah. Just, you, you avoided that. And I was one of those horrible kids in my teenage years who was like, I don't have female friends. I have male friends oh, I because was, there's I was less drama. Oh, yeah, I was that too. And I got off on being told I was one of the guys and I was so less high maintenance than the girls. I loved that. I enjoyed that. Um, And then, spoiler alert, you get older. (laughs) Well, spoiler alert, you get older, and then you can't ask your family certain questions. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, honestly, I think it was health and sexuality and that that got me to embrace female friendship, was that it was like, I can't call my aunt about possibly needing emergency contraception. True. (laughs) That's not something that I can do. Well, then there's also a lot of aspects too. And I mean, it depends on, you know, what path in life you have. Mm -hmm. I'm now a stepmom, which is something I never thought I would be. And I'm cool with it. Mm -hmm. But I have friends who basically have female friends that I've been able to sit down with and be like, I do not know what I'm doing. Is this normal? Yeah, no, your kid is going to say stuff like that. Okay. But, like, is she creepy or are we okay? Like, am I going to have to start thinking therapist? Well, you're probably going to have to think therapist anyway because of this world. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're probably going to have to. But um, that's always something that's sort of strange. And, um, I mean, if we're supposed to align 
uh, Nell with the Blackberry and Sula with the Nightshade, they both then mirror a lot of things in each other that are very un-Nightshade and very un-Blackberry. Sula enjoys uh, that kid dying a little... No, sorry, Nell enjoys that kid dying a little too much. Let's just be honest. Yeah, and she... Talks about that, like, yeah, it was the excitement, it was yeah. the change. It was like, uh, Nell enjoyed that a little too much. Uh, that was one of those moments where, like, you might be a Slytherin if you are having a little bit too much on watching you get trapped. And Sula just really just wants a guy who, like, can handle her, and you know, she wants to get married. Um, I, I think that that's something that's so interesting about this book. I think is it's easy to ascribe them a certain binary path, but really, Morrison wants you to not do that. Uncritical readers still will, and they'll still demonize Sula and say that Nell is right. Which is funny, because Nell's last name is right. Hey! And Sula's is peace. <laughs> oh, Tony Morrison. You know, I, I've said this multiple times, I don't ever like it when writers feel like they're being clever. Like, it's one of my biggest issues with J.K. Rowling. I was gonna say J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, I have a little bit with him, too, but, like, like especially uh, Auntie Joe Rowling. It's like, ooh, I'll name him Sirius Black. Woo! It's like, you're not clever, Joe. You're not fucking clever, Joe. Toni Morrison gets away with it. She gets a pass. I think any other author, I would be violently angry. This is kind of like when something's animated. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. So, I will say there's a lot of conversation about removing poop from kids' butts in this. There is. There is. Uh, I, sometimes I wonder if Toni Morrison uh, ever planned on this being read at any other time. Because it just feels like such a wonderful like time capsule. Like, hey, we're going to take the only food we have left, and I'm going to make sure that you like can actually poop. Yeah. And I mean, I know a lot of moms who have been there. I, I've, but not putting food up their kids' butt to get that out. It's usually more like a supposed Yeah. Um, I mean, real points for realism. Major points for realism. Major points for realism. Binary thinking is terrible. How do, how do we... Is there... Is this why we read? I think this is why we read. I think it's one of the, the major things is... You're going to be raised with a certain set of thinking. Mm-hmm. And as you get older, you determine whether or not you want to keep thinking that way. Yeah. And reading really helps you figure out what you want to believe and why. Yeah. And I think if I didn't read as much as I did, I probably would be stuck in some pretty gnarly thinking that I had in my younger days. Yeah. I I do kind of wonder about these weird, like, utopian scenarios that you could possibly raise a kid with no patriarchal expectation or no binary thinking but even then like just almost everything about existence has some form of misogyny baked into it mm-hmm. like um lindsay ellis in a video says the legacy of colonialism is baked into every facet of every culture on the planet mm-hmm. and like at first it just sounds like a joke like it doesn't sound real like how can you say that like we're post-colonialism and it's like but when you think about it the fact that we still have native americans as mascots for sports teams and like the way that we view certain items around um, ethnic culture, like cultural appropriation, you can't ignore that. But we just got used to it because it's everywhere, and it feels so big that you can't do anything about it. Um, and even I, as a writer, struggled with this idea of you know wanting to build stronger female characters and still mimicking the goddamn same misogyny that I grew up reading. 
um, it's kind of scary how pervasive those thought processes are. I wrote a book once, okay, more than once, but not published them. And I showed it to one of my friends and I said, hey, what do you think? And she read it. She goes, this is really the sexual relationship you're going to have between these two characters. Cause there's like a major misalignment of like power dynamic. Yeah. And I hadn't even thought about it. I was like, Oh, you're entirely right. Like that's really awkward. Yeah. You just, you, you end up parroting what you've always known. And most of the time, what we know is garbage. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I mean, I was raised during the era of the Bill Clinton scandal. So, you know, John Oliver did a great interview with Monica Lewinsky. Really? That like, almost changed my life he did because he did a whole episode on online shaming and then he's like i'm gonna talk about the, i'm gonna talk to the person who's been the most shamed like ever and the way monica Lewinsky talks about it is just she is such a phenomenal woman that we don't give enough credit to i have to agree with you on that one for sure we just yeah. and i i think she sums it up in the line of during that whole scandal no one asked bill clinton if he was going to change his name after this whole thing came to light the onus was always on her, almost like uh, the patriarchy is a thing. <sighs> Deep size. I. Someone had said to me not too long ago, "It's like you sound really tired whenever you talk about these subjects." Like <laughs> we are really tired. Like, Do you have any idea how tiring it is? Because here's here's the one thing I will say about reading that sometimes sucks is reading makes you aware of it. <laughs> Uh-huh. Reading, and there is there is this thing called uh, the burden of knowledge. And it's this it's this idea that people who are smarter than most, I'm not going to say like genius because that sounds really gross, but like smarter than most, that they're usually tortured. And they're usually tortured because they're aware. Is this like Lisa Simpson holding the chart yeah. where it's like unhappiness increasing? Yeah, it's sort of like that because... um. I had a conversation with some people where it was like, oh, I didn't get this allegory in a movie. And I'm like, allegory? Allegory is subtle. I got punched in the face by this. And um, if you ever really want to make me angry, say, turn off your brain during a movie. Mm. You ever want to make me really violently angry, uh, say that to me. It, that doesn't exist for me. That's not how it works. So, to tell me, like, turn off your brain. No. That's, that's how you get Hitler's. Mm -hmm. Turning off your brain is how bad things happen. We can't afford to turn off your brain. Um... Screeches about current politics. <laughs> but being aware that this is programming that was baked into me and that now I can't return. It's like figuring out you're some kind of strange homunculus and there's a part of you that you wish you could just excise, but you can't. I like the word homunculus. I love the word homunculus. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like, it really is. It's like being that. It's like, it's like figuring, I mean, Honestly, at the risk of getting too topical, no one asks to be here. No one has ever asked to exist on this planet. I have been forcibly allowed into this system. And now there's a lot of things that I have to deal with. I feel like a gingerbread man, a non-binary gingerbread creature. Just imagine the just gingerbread Thing. Yeah, like gingerbread a, human. Yeah, a gingerbread amalgamation. I never asked for this, but then there's like a weird tumor of raisins that I never asked for. I don't want these raisins. That's not why I'm here. I was hoping for sprinkles. I, yeah, I, or just maybe for them not to be here. And then when I ask my creator god, 
Hello, can we do something about these raisins? No. In fact, for your forward thinking, here are more raisins. That's honestly what I feel like sometimes. What do you have against raisins? No, I'm just kidding. It's not I'm ginger- messing around. It's like just, just, <laughs> not a, just not a gingerbread. I actually quite like them. That was a that was an analogy. That was <laughs> that was an analogy. I apologize for that, dear listeners. <sighs> and the hard thing too is it's very easy to get exhausted. Oh yeah, I'm tired all the time. But if we don't keep fighting and we don't keep trying to correct what is wrong, that takes over. Yeah, yeah. Which sucks. Because, yeah, I'd rather watch Netflix right now. Oh, yeah. I would, uh, I would much, I would much rather, um, I really want to rewatch Tuca and Bernie. I haven't watched it yet. I think you'd really like it. It's like BoJack with women. I like BoJack horsemen. Yeah. It's, it's like BoJack with two female characters. Um, it, I love Toni Morrison so much, so much, but she hurts me. Mm-hmm. Her, her work is absolutely beautiful and stunning and... I told Amanda I ended up reading this book as a book instead of like trying, trying to critically read it. And then I was like, oh, yeah, I got to actually uh, come up with points for the show. <laughs> right. Um, and I think that I think that's one of the reasons why I think we do this show is because a lot of these books that we read, we read when we were younger mm-hmm. and we didn't have um, knowledge or empathy or existence behind us. And when you have to read a book, you won't, you're almost setting yourself up for failure. You almost can't enjoy it. I know when I was younger, uh, even if I really liked it, I would never admit it. Yep. Uh, so now being able to read a lot of these things now that I'm older, and to, I mean, it's an assignment, of course it is. Like, I always say it's an assignment, but a kind of weird, fun assignment. Um, I find that I get a lot more out of them. So did you have to read this? I did not have to read this in school. Okay. We, we focus mostly on white authors white male authors because they're the only ones who've made history um but i i mean i did find myself very much enjoying this book yeah i don't think i had to read this in school but i read it because again you're given a basket of tony morrison when you're born black and that was in there um i like sula a lot i always have um i relate to sula as a character more than i like admitting sometimes than i have since i was young uh but Toni Morrison had some thoughts about this book, didn't she? Yep. Shall we? We shall. Uh, she mostly did not like how this... How, I know she mostly had issue with the opening. Because um, she gives a concession about the framing it from a white man's perspective at the start. Right. And a lot of that was designed to let folks who wouldn't necessarily be able to access this material access uh-huh. it. Yes. But it fucked her a lot. And and as a writer of dual consciousness, I can understand both sides of that argument. Because that is one thing um, about African-American literature and the African-American experience is that it is very hard to understand if you have not lived that. And honestly, even if you haven't lived a certain kind of it, because I've been blessed living an upper middle class existence and was blessed to be educated and blessed to have death tear my family apart and not, you know, the for-profit prison system or anything like that. Uh, it was not, you know, beauty that killed the beast in my instance. It was just existence. Um, so I have a hard time reading a bunch of all those slave narratives. It's like, I, don't, I haven't been in a field. 
I don't even play outside. Like, I, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean hardship? Hardship doesn't exist. The hardest decision I made as a kid was what special lunch I would have in my private school because I had a food allergy and I got to select my own food. Because that's how you handle food allergies in the 90s is quarantine. Quarantining the child. Yes. Well, a lot of it, too, I feel like she she probably framed it that way at the very beginning because she was in the publishing field. Yes. So she knew what it was like when an author had incredibly killer work, but people felt like they couldn't access it. And I sometimes I will say I, I it took me many years to be radicalized, uh, and I'm not even very radical. I'm very much of the camp of hey, maybe just stop being jerks to everyone. Mm-hmm. Apparently, that's a radical stance. Uh, maybe uh, just stop being jerks to everyone. But <laughs> I sometimes I wonder, does this need to be accessible to everyone? Uh, I was on a show not long ago. And someone had made the comment that they couldn't get into Steven Universe because of how gay it was. And I'm like, so you've never experienced love before. Got it. And, you know, cishet co-host. What? Like, yeah, it's, it doesn't matter that it's gay. Love is love. That's that's irrelevant. At, not that you could ever separate blackness from Morrison's work, because even saying that sentence feels gross. But the idea of having a friend that that makes you a better person that you can see the flaws in but still find their beauty still find their strength still find their truth that is universal Mm -hmm. you don't need to be black to understand this now there's an added layer if you are because i can tell you this dynamic reminds me of me one of my very close friends i've this dynamic is my existence that's why i like it so much i have always said sula is my unofficial biography (laughs) With Holly Berry, hopefully. Um, Monster Ball Holly Berry? Pixie. Pixie Cut Holly Berry. I saw her on, um, well, I didn't watch it. We just got the clip through Mm because I run a website somewhere else. Yes, you do. And there was uh, an image of her talking about her newest movie. And I'm like, oh, I should send that to a man. Yes, you should. And then I didn't, and I'm sorry. And I forgive you. But um, sometimes I wonder about accessibility when it comes to this sort of thing. It's like, to me... You are a sociopath if you don't get it. Like, like, to me, you don't need to be black to get it. Now, there are definitely certain nuanced parts mm-hmm. that I think being of color, it makes, like, that opening, like, but from God's perspective, it's the bottom. It's like, fuck you. <laughs> See, I haven't read that. Like, fuck <laughs> you. Because it's like, how many times have you ever had a boss that's like, oh, my God, I, I really rely on you. I need you to to finish this project for me. Thank you so much for staying late. You're totally up for a promotion. And then <clears throat> my former job, you know, you really do have a very negative attitude. Oh, is this because I put my two week notice in? Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, it's almost like those two things are related. So yeah, you know, you have that little cinema dig moment where it's like, fuck you person. Uh, and then, I, I don't think that you need to be black. I, Toni Morrison is such a great author. She which really is, is. Can we just say, I think Toni Morrison is one of the best uh, African-American creators we've ever had. And I think it's her accessibility that I think makes that opening so patronizing. Is because I don't think... I will say, she does write some books that are very unapproachable. Beloved, I don't think is for anyone. Beloved is hard. I don't think Beloved... I think Beloved is not written for anyone. Dude, I'm still having flashbacks to Beloved. Like, I think, like, Stephen King wrote a couple of books that aren't for anyone. Like, I think, like, It, 
the book oh god is not for anyone the miniseries is but the book is not for anyone i think my favorite moment at a convention was waiting for these two creators to come out and one of the guys started talking about it and somebody's like oh yeah i always had a hard time with that book you know i'm running a train on a preteen and i'm like what are you talking about because i'd never read the book oh yeah the, and uh, yeah the bonding ritual my mom um, ended up, that was why she stopped reading Stephen King, because she was pregnant with me when she was reading it. She's like, nope, done. Because he was a cook monster at the time. Yeah. But Morrison is so approachable, but I really, it, I will open up this platform. If you've had a hard time with Teddy Morrison, I would like to hear from you. And I will very lovingly and quietly tell you to get over yourself. But I will do so lovingly and quietly. But I will still tell you to get over yourself. Because I, I, I don't understand that. Like, I, we have a lot of uh, heated conversations or representation in media nowadays, which really shouldn't be heated conversations at all. Um, there, there are people of other ethnicities in the world. That's a shock, isn't it? To some people, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so to me, the whole idea of, like, well, I can't relate to this character because you're looking at me cool. You're a sociopath. Excellent. That you can't relate to what are very universal struggles marvelous you are a raging narcissist well what's really interesting too is now as a culture we're starting to open up the doors a little bit more and be mm -hmm. like hey you know you haven't seen a woman superhero here you go yeah. like on screen or hey you know you haven't really seen somebody of color or somebody who's non-binary mm -hmm. or somebody who is gay or trans or trans and now it's becoming more prevalent mm -hmm. and it's so funny to watch people get mad about that and you go Okay, but yeah, we've been watching TV since the 50s, and it's been the same representation over and over mm -hmm. and over again, and everybody else has found a way to kind of, you know, find themselves in it. Right. Let us have this. Like, right. Like, I'm a huge anime fan. I have spent the better part of 20 years relating to characters who look nothing like me. But at that point, it's not about their physical description. It's about the fact that they've been through things that are similar to me. Would it have helped if they looked like me? Probably, but that's not... Critically, that's never been who I am. I'm never going to say that representation isn't good. Quite the opposite. But on that flip side of people who say that they have a hard time reading African-American novels and African-American works and knows about the struggle, I need you to have that empathy that Black people have had to have with white characters for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. Just deal with it. Just there, There's no more... There's no more patience that I have with it. Because as a writer, I probably deal with a lot of the same things that Morrison does. It's like, oh, well, you can't make this character too black. You don't want to scare away the whites. You don't want to scare the whites away. You can't be too ethnic. Is this like Scottish Twitter? Yes. Yes, that's literally... That's why uh, black Twitter and Scottish Twitter get along so well. Oh my god, you should have seen me when that freaking Ralph Breaks the Internet commercial came out. I'm like, first of all, Meredith's not that hard to understand. She's really not. Her her dad, on the other hand. Yeah. But, um, I, I really like Sula. I don't know if you guys have been able to pick up on that. I really like Sula. I think this might be the book that I've enjoyed the most. Question mark? Question mark? I mean, can you really enjoy Toni Morrison, though? It always hurts you. Hurts a little bit, yeah. Like I, she's a Slytherin, isn't she? 
Yes, she's most definitely a Slytherin. Okay, I'll, I'll add her to the chart. I'm, I'm keeping her. I'm, I'm sorry. Like, she's she's also probably heavy on the Ravenclaw. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've never assumed that Slytherins are dumb. I just, I the way she can cut people with words is just that's very beautiful. Oh, it's marvelous. It's like it's like watching a, a butterfly knife. It's just stunning. So, as always, we have resources. Yes, mostly Crash Course, because uh, John Green really does put in work. Yeah, and this was, he did a really good job on this one. He did. Um, we I tend to use a lot of Spark Notes. Um, in the 90s, it would have been Cliff Notes. But, wow. Just because I want to make sure that I'm telling you the right story. Yeah. Um, books are hard, y'all. That's all. That's just, books are hard sometimes. So, I'm really excited about June. Yes. Because we are doing Pride Month. We are. Which is the short version of me going LGBTQIA+. Yes. Um, and what book are we going to be reading first? The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. I'm really excited because I get to pull out a lot of facts about Oscar Wilde and Irish culture, and I'm, like, stoked on life. I just love being able to talk about Oscar Wilde being a sexual deviant. That's my favorite things on Earth. Deviant in quotation marks? Uh, not the homosexuality, the every other part. Oh, I found out that uh, Constance Wilde was part of the cult of theosophy, so I'm really excited about that. Yeah, um, I think the latter end of Pride Month, though, we're still at a bit of a, uh, a nexus. I don't think we've fully pegged down what we're going to do. That sounded dirty. That did sound a little dirty, but I'm okay with it. Uh, so let us know what you would like to see for the tail end of Pride Month, because... I actually would love to read some Sappho. Ooh. Ooh, that's good. I have an entire book of sapphic poetry, and I read it on the beach for my birthday on um, the sands of Rockport, and I had a great time. That sounds magical. I mean, we need to talk about which edition so I can get on the same page. Ah, on the same Yay! page! Like, literally. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. This probably hurt. <laughs> uh, the puns, I mean. No, no worse than anything else. I was, should I tell them what I was singing before we started? Yes. So we're drinking a shrub, right? Mm -hmm. I was singing, I don't want no shrub. And then that's a problem. So a little bit, but not terribly. Okay. So as far as our social media, you can find us on unfortunately required reading on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, RR on Twitter, unfortunately required on Instagram and unfortunately required reading.com. And if you want to send us an email or you have a suggestion on the podcast, funny story, you can email us at unfortunately required reading at gmail.com. Now, please go read a book.